This is Roots and Stems, an indigenous language podcast brought to you by Sea Alaska Heritage. Roots and Stems is where we dig in and explore ways to support and join language revitalization efforts. Lindsay and Udi Ka'an. My name is Lindsay, and I will be hosting this episode of Roots and Stems. In this episode, I interview Drs. Kawanoi Kamana and William Pila Wilson. Okay, so my name is William H. Wilson, uh, also known as Pila. I work at the University of Hawaii at Hilo, Kaka'olo Ke'elikolani College of Hawaiian Language. Pila also played a key role in developing state laws for education through Hawaiian and in establishing U.S. federal policies to protect and promote Native American languages. Okay, so I'm Kawanoi Kamana, and I'm also part of the faculty at our Hawaiian Language College at University of Hawaii Hilo, Kahaka'ula Oke'enikolani. And my role in the college is to serve as director, principal of Kekula or Navahi Okalani Opu'u, which is our preschool through 12th grade site in Kea'au, just outside of Hilo, where we live. As a teacher and administrator, Kawanoi works with students, teachers, and families to reestablish the vibrancy of Hawaiian language and culture in Hawaii. To learn more about both Pila and Kawanoi's language journeys, I asked how they became involved in revitalizing the native Hawaiian language. I was born in Hawaii, but left when I was 10 to go live in Europe. And people asked me, the other kids, you know, where are you from? What language do people speak? So from that time, I decided I should learn the Hawaiian language. But I myself am not native Hawaiian. And then when I came back to Hawaii, I just kind of took it as a hobby in night school or in the university was trying to major in biology. And I just kind of got involved in it and realized that it was endangered. Uh, only old people spoke it. And then Kaunoi and I met and got engaged and became kind of like a family thing. Yeah, well, my uh, involvement in Hawaiian language revitalization was really quite by accident. I wasn't intending to study a language when I was in college, but my friends were saying, hey, you know, there's uh, this Hawaiian language uh, program on the radio. And I remember my father being real interested in listening on Sundays to native speakers uh, in the evening. And so I went and that's how I got uh, involved in learning Hawaiian, because although we did use Hawaiian at home when we got scoldings, you know, from our parents and little phrases, we knew that kind of Hawaiian, but we didn't really learn any real conversational Hawaiian, you know, so I had to go back to school to learn uh, that. And it was right in the 1970s where the Hawaiian language movement was really getting you know, exciting and music was coming back and everybody was just really pushing for bringing back our culture and um, our language. So like Pila had mentioned, we met each other and and we decided then that, hey, let's just kind of be a team and, and do a little bit more than just study it at the university, which led to what we do today. I recalled to them a memory I have of one of my native Hawaiian friends from college reading a version of The Hobbit that was translated into Hawaiian. 
I was amazed that their level of language revitalization reached the point where books were being translated into Hawaiian and that so many young people were learning the language. Yeah. When, when we were growing up, nobody in our generation spoke Hawaiian, except for this tiny, tiny island of 200 people. Um, yeah, Nihau. Um, so it's just a language spoken by older people. And now we have many, many young people who speak Hawaiian uh, from of all ages. You know, we're like kind of the older beginning of that. Um, in fact, we are, I would say. There are very few people that are older than us who learn Hawaiian as a second language and started to use it regularly. I asked Kawanoi and Pila about how they started their Hawaiian immersion preschool, Aha Punana Leo. Just one of the main things that we did was to uh, say, well, let's do something, you know, and then just kind of organize and say, um, okay, uh, make language the focal point and our culture the focal point of what we do. And uh, so at the same time, people in New Zealand were trying to bring their language back also and make it stronger. And so we thought we'd do the same thing and bring old people and our babies together. And that was back in the early 80s. And so we called it the Punana Leo, or the language nest. And um, it did exactly that. And so we incorporated and called our organization the AHA Punana Leo. And, um, and found out you know, what preschool education was about because we were not involved in preschool education. We were language people and it was just kind of a detail you know, for us, just learn uh, who's doing it the best and uh, see how it aligns with what we understand as being important for our language and culture and really design a uh, educational experience that would be great for young children and families and not just the children, but the families, and help our families learn Hawaiian themselves as parents and bring language back into the home. So the Punana Leo uh, movement, as it's become now understood as being, uh, really was the seed to uh, bring it into our uh, public school system where we lobbied to uh, change laws and, and uh, get it approved by our Department of Education, which is a lot of work and a lot of people, you know, to help us get that done. And some of them were Hawaiians and some of them were not Hawaiians, you know. So we really are appreciative uh, to all of those people who helped open the doors to, to establish a choice for families in Hawaii today to choose either Hawaiian medium education or um, English medium education, as we have two official languages in our state. Um, I think it might be good to emphasize the problems that we had. So the first problem was that it was illegal to go to school in Hawaiian when we started. Um, <clears throat> so in 1896, um, just in preparation for annexation to the United States, they, before they did have schools in Hawaiian, in Hawaii, uh, public schools, but they passed a law that said you can no longer use Hawaiian in schools. And that remained on the books until we went to the legislature to change the law, which we finally succeeded after three years in 1986. So our state had declared Hawaiian as an official language 
understand now you have your own languages here as official. But it had been official since 1978, but it was still illegal to actually use it. Uh, so it was more of a symbol of, you know, our tourism industry or of what Hawaii represents to the world, but not really allowing it to be used as a language that children could actually speak. So even to have a private school, which our Punanaleo language nest is a private um, effort, um, we also couldn't um, do that in the same laws that they allowed for foreign languages could be taught, but not Hawaiian. So we were pretty um, <coughs> kind of a bad situation. And then there were many people in the community who said, oh, don't you dare do that. That's going to harm the children. It'll never work. And then we had the problem of not having anyone who spoke Hawaiian and also knew anything about early childhood education. So we've said that we will focus on Hawaiian ways of running a family. And we had elders who spoke Hawaiian plus young second language learners from our college effort. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, but they were really crucial as they were <clears throat> young enough to move around and help with the kids and uh, learn from the older people who were there. And so that's how we began as a nonprofit private preschool where the parents paid tuition and also um, contributed snacks and cleaning up the toilets, everything. And they also had to go to classes. So it was kind of like a community effort, and the pay was very, very minimal for the teachers. Um, but that's how we started. And then from there, um, we were sort of illegal. <laughs> and so we went to the legislature to become legal and also to be able to get into the public schools. So that's kind of what Kaunoi was talking about, too, about getting into the public schools and having people come and help us. Um, Pila mentions an unexpected connection Southeast Alaska had to the Hawaiian language revitalization effort. I think it's important for people here to know that among the people that have helped us, it wasn't immediately when we got into the public schools, but after we got in there was someone who was a Klinkit, uh, namely uh, William Demert. I don't know if you heard of that family. But he uh, was kind of a prominent person in Native education in the United States. And we met him through another um, contact from Alaska, Edna McLean from Barrow. And uh, he came and visited us and told us that um, we needed to have some things kind of written up about what we're doing and what is Indigenous education. And he was a great help. He, he introduced us to the National Indian Education Association, and he really helped us get uh, laws changed at the federal level. He was um, really um, crucial. So I'd like to thank all the Demert family people out there and people yes. from mm -hmm. here for that kind of help that we got from uh, Bill Demert. Yeah, Bill mm -hmm. Demert. Mm -hmm. Bringing indigenous language into public schools can be challenging. So I asked how they were able to integrate Hawaiian into the Hawaiian public school system. Yeah, our angle on things, I think um, Pila can kind of speak a little bit more about it, but our angle 
on it is a um, historical angle, so the establishment of the, the groundwork for establishing the, the stream within the public school system is always seen as the core of, of, of the move within the, the public school system rather than trying to align with the public school system. When you try and align with it, then they then you have to uh, explain why what you're doing is, is important, or and then they'll, it'll be kind of like a debate on, yeah. <laughs> well, what do we have to get rid of in order to get yours in kind of yeah. thinking. So this has to be part of the natural progression of learning for children. It has to be understood as being of value to the education system, and that they see it as being theirs also, rather than yours and, and there's ours and then there's yours. So there is that kind of a, a mindset sometimes that can create um, obstacles to getting what you want in there. But there are, depending on who you know in, in, in different schools, I know in our uh, school system certain principals are more receptive to having those programs at their schools. And so when we um, when the Department of Edu Education said at the very beginning, who would like to have a pilot this program in your school? And then there were two principals who said, I'd like to. And they were uh, the two principals who opened the door to creating um, elementary and subsequently intermediate and high school um, programs in their communities. So what do you think, Pila? I think um, one of the things we need to clarify, first of all, is that I think um, it's probably not clear exactly what kind of programs we have. So there are programs other than ours that teach Hawaiian as a second language. In other words, there's classes where they learn Hawaiian language. And uh, in high schools in Hawaii, it's not unusual to have Hawaiian language offered in, in addition to foreign languages. So that's something else than what we're talking about. What we're talking about is going to school in Hawaiian as if you were in Japan going to school in Japanese or going to school in, in French in France. So we start at the language nest where the children become proficient in Hawaiian, do everything all in Hawaiian, there's no English. And then could we move that into the public school system and move all the way up through the grades? So we have accomplished that where you can go to school totally in Hawaiian from preschool all the way through grade 12 and then into the university as well. But um, it's really different. T English is taught as a second language in the school, not Hawaiian taught. There, Hawaiian is taught as a second language in the English medium schools. And we have, you know, um, lots of the people who become teachers have come out of that, and we're still in the uh, stage where most of our teachers did not go to school in Hawaiian. They went to school in English, then learned Hawaiian, some in high school, and then they had to improve themselves at the university level. So, but what Kaunoi is talking about is how we moved going to school totally in Hawaiian from the language nest into the public school system. First there's a stream, now there's some total schools that are in Hawaiian. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The and big, also, yeah. also that in different communities, 
the school may take on a different kind of uh, look or design in that some schools may uh, offer more English when the kids get to a certain grade. Maybe, you know, when they get to the fourth grade, maybe they want to do more English in Hawaiian. And then uh, when they get into intermediate and then high school, they may have total courses in Hawaiian. So every community may kind of design the program to fit their own needs or what they think is appropriate. For us at our school, uh, Navahi, uh, we like to stay with 100% uh, Hawaiian from preschool up through grade 12. We have English uh, introduced in grade five for an hour a day. And that we do have English, we study English through Hawaiian. And we use English in a way that it uh, supports the Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. So you're building a kind of a mindset for your students to understand that their language is the Hawaiian language and English is an additional language. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's really important to know that in our community, we didn't have any children that spoke Hawaiian <laughs> when we started. So, but now um, it's increasingly being used in the home and people have gone through our program of raising their children in Hawaiian from the beginning. So it's really coming back. Um, so that's really exciting for everyone, I think, um, including people who said, oh, it won't work, you know, they'll be um, damaged, they won't be able to speak English, they won't be able to go to college. We found that even if we have schooling totally in Hawaiian, they still can speak, read, write English. Um, and that's because of in contemporary Hawaii, uh, and some of your listeners may have been to Hawaii before, you can see it's very much no English. With English. Yeah, yeah, so they get lots of practice through the media and through mm -hmm. the outside community, and most of them actually have English as the home language. So um, mm -hmm. English has not been a problem. We have a higher rate of college-going rate than the English schools, and high, higher high school graduation rate than the English schools. So it's working, uh, and that's a message that we bring here to people here who are starting this idea that um, don't be afraid that they won't be able to speak English. Don't be afraid they won't be able to do academics. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid they won't be able to go on to college. We found just the opposite. Mm -hmm. And also that um, the families for our school, for Navahi, we have over 90, well, maybe 98% of our teachers and our um, staff have their children attend our school. So for, uh, for Pila and me, we, our two children, they're like 38 years old today. We raise them in Hawaiian and, and put them into this Punanaleo, our preschool. And uh, when people look, you know, when you speak, you have to say that you are all in, you know, with what you're talking about. So if, if it is important, for other children, then it has to be important for your children, you know? So um, that inspires other people to, to uh, unite and become a, um, a family together. And that uh, if the family uh, unit is the, at the core of what we stand for, then we have to understand that those relationships are true and real today. 
and that uh, maybe we can call it a school, but it is a place where we spend a lot of time together with, with students, young people, and children, and, and families come. So we need to make what people call a school more uh, aligned with what we understand as being community, a Hawaiian-speaking community. Pila and Kawanoi talk about some challenges they experienced while revitalizing the Hawaiian language. Okay, so I think that one of the things we need to do when we come here is to emphasize our, um, our failures and then how we overcame them because people tend to assume, oh, things sound so great, you know, there. Mm -hmm. and, oh, it's always uh, a bumpy road. Oh, yes. yes, it's a yes. bumpy road. Yes. So when yes. we first started our very first preschool, our very first language nest, we uh, thought that, oh, the best place to go would be to a community you know, I mentioned that island of Nihau where everyone spoke Hawaiian, and they were moving off of that tiny island. There were 200 people to the adjoining island, and there were some younger people in their 20s who um, all spoke Hawaiian, and there were even some children there who spoke Hawaiian. So we said, we will start our language nest with them and bring some other kids in, but we weren't there to watch. And the teachers felt very strange speaking in Hawaiian to children who weren't their own kids. And so when we weren't around, they were speaking, they felt sorry for the children and they spoke English. And so after one year, all the Ni'ihau children could speak English and the other children couldn't speak Hawaiian. So we, our first thing was our problem of getting people to use only Hawaiian. So we had to close and start again. And we started in Hilo, which is Something like Juno, it's a little bit bigger, I'd say. I heard that there's about 33,000 yeah. people here. Yeah. And Hilo is about 45,000. Oh, wow. But we're not the capital. We're, not, we're kind of like a more of a um, out of the way area. Uh, so there, but there are lots of people. There are lots of native Hawaiians. So there were some brave people who wanted to start and there were older people from the country areas around there who could be our teachers. And Kawanoi left the university classes to kind of watch over the program, make sure that everyone spoke Hawaiian, get it going. So that was really important. And we also had another site in Honolulu, which is even bigger. And so it's uh, strange. You would think that it might work best in a rural place f far away, but it, that for us, it worked better in kind of like an urban area. So that's where, we could, where we could bring the native speaker and the second language learners yeah. Yeah. that were younger and learning the language, and that then you have the babies. So that combination worked better. And also for the older speakers, you, you don't want them to be responsible for the kids. You know, they're just there to use the language. That these other teacher, the teachers would be doing the, the daily schedule and, and you know, those kinds of day-to-day uh, -day responsibilities. So that, that worked well because then those university students got to be with those native speakers also, and uh, who now we don't, we don't have for teachers right. who are getting involved now. And the, I think the other thing was that um, people are more aware of language loss in that kind of a situation. So um, they were, it was easier to see we have to do something. Mm -hmm. um, so that was something that we faced. And then we also had uh, all of our challenges with just integrating into the school system. Mm -hmm. 
And some of them were pretty um, harsh at the beginning, like we were told that we can't do reading and writing because Hawaiian is an oral language. And so we had to resist that and do that on the trick it, yeah. you know, on the side. And then they had tests. And they, the, when we got into kindergarten and first grade, they said that they will, it's all in Hawaiian, but the way that they'll decide if it, they move forward is if they can speak English. And then parents had to kind of resist the testing of that. Mm -hmm. on, on, um, just on the basic idea of you don't test in a language that you don't, teach in, I mean, it's not fair, even though the kids could speak English and some of the parents participated, but there had to be kind of like a, um, a sense of changing things um, and you had to be a little bit more aggressive on that way, but in a nice way at the same time, not be Mm -hmm. screaming and yelling, but just kind of holding your ground and moving slowly forward, mm -hmm. not expecting everything all at once. But we had many of those little little bumps and little challenges where the families and all had to put in resources when the government didn't, and then eventually the government came around, but you couldn't wait for them to be provide books. Yeah, there, there was another thing where, you know, we, you can't go in there thinking that they're going to uh, provide anything, really. Yeah. You have to go in there thinking, we're going to do it all, yeah. and ask them, may we do it all? Mm -hmm. And it sounds a little strange because people will say, oh, well, they should be doing it because they are the government and they have the resources. But you can't think like that because mm -hmm. if they do, they do it, they won't do what you want. You know, only you know what you intend to do, you know, for your community and for your language. And in doing so, if you go in the, with that spirit, then uh, you can become partners with the government in, in making it happen rather than, you know, adversaries. Yeah. Um, another aspect of this was everyone was telling us that we would fail. <laughs> uh, not so much, they weren't worried about failing in reviving Hawaiian, which was our big concern and still is, because it's really difficult work to bring back a language. Um, but uh, they were worried that the children wouldn't speak English and they wouldn't be academics. So part of our strategy was to say that we will settle for the language and culture as being more important to us, and it's kind of like a American idea of free choice, you know, like you can't, do I have to go to Harvard? <laughs> do you have to, are you saying that going to Harvard is better than um, being able to speak your traditional language and spirituality and all like that? Are you putting that value judgment on us? So by doing that, by kind of rejecting what they said was more valuable than we were more free to focus even stronger on the academics through our own Hawaiian language. And that's where we ended up having mm -hmm. better academic results mm -hmm. than what they were telling us would have been better. Mm -hmm. And they were, they based their ideas on what to them was the best um, research and best practice at the time, but um, we did it based on our hearts, you know, and uh, 
it ended up that now we had the best practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, so anyway, that's one thing that we're really fortunate about now in Hawaii and elsewhere. Other places have done similar things, and that's part of the reason why we're here to share that we think now we have another type of best practice. We can't say that exactly what we did will work someplace else, but um, we're certainly um, willing to help and support people that want to try it. Mm -hmm. I told them about immersion preschools in Southeast Alaska, including Ha Yu Hatangi Kudi, Clinkett Immersion Preschool in Juneau, and the Hansenai Heda Immersion Preschool in Heidelberg and how communities are now trying to figure out where to go from there. That's one thing with uh, starting, you know, because children don't wait, you know, they get older. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> once you begin um, a program, you have to already be setting out for, for kindergarten when you're, when you're in that first uh, preschool group. And we did actually, with that first group, there were eight of them who became kindergarten age that we kept at the preschool and didn't send them to the, the parents that we're going to hold them here because it wasn't required at that time for them to go to kindergarten. And that um, <clears throat> then when we opened, got the okay to do the K-1 pilot classroom, then we sent uh, those students up to be the kindergarten and first grade students. As a mixed class. As a mixed class. A mixed K-1 class. And so you're going to want that they have that kind of um, double grade group, especially at the beginning when the numbers are small. And um, then once once they're at the K-1, you're planning for two. Right. Yeah. But um, going back to that, our first very first effort, we had to close down. So those kids, they didn't get anything. Yeah. And then even in Hilo and in Honolulu, um, we had some kids who got out, yeah. graduated before yeah. we were ready to even do the kindergarten. So they weren't able to continue. So it takes a while to kind of tread water to mm -hmm. kind of get, mm -hmm. get started and depending on your um, resources. I talked to Pila and Kawanoi about our college classes currently at the University of Alaska Southeast and how it is a struggle to find someone who can teach the language, especially for Hodkil and Samalgia. We face some challenges in that area as well, but we, um, of course, have a bigger population. And another thing is that, um, and this is kind of sad, to, but our, our t in the state of Hawaii and in the territory of Hawaii, the Native people are a pretty um, large group. So um, they d required that Hawaiian be taught at the University of Hawaii beginning in the 1920s. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they didn't have a single person that came out of the program until the 70s who could actually speak the language. So you can see all that time. And the teachers were um, very fluent. I mean, they were all native speakers, but it just didn't seem to work. Uh, we couldn't figure out how to do it. So um, that's one thing that when we were taking the language, I remember I went, they had actually four years of language and I, was in a class of maybe four students, and we got a new teacher, a younger guy who had learned by uh, interacting with older people in his own family, and and he played a tape for us. And this is the, the second semester of the last year. <laughs> I couldn't understand a thing. <laughs> oh no! 
Yeah, so we really um, were not that successful at first, but then we started this radio program that Kaunoi mentioned that her father listened to. And we, Kaunoi and I, helped him um, answer the phone and bring people in and practice and with the older people. And then at the same time, uh, we tried to learn more about really how is Hawaiian put together instead of just memorizing sentences. And it's kind of complicated, but gradually figured it out. And so then when we became teachers, we moved away from Honolulu and went to Hilo and tried to teach on a more um, structured way. And then also beginning in the second year, we spoke only Hawaiian in class, which like was something really radical. And that ended up turning out to be really successful. And so th we were developing that at the same time as doing the language nests with our own children involved and then mm -hmm. trying to make the books and trying to, mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to create the lessons for the university students, although we were full-time there, and also trying to do all the thing, and then have to deal with the politics, which was we had to fly to Honolulu for that, which was difficult. But uh, still, I think we had more resources than um, certainly for Haida, and I'm not quite sure for Clinket right now, but probably had a little bit more uh, resources. Mm -hmm. But still, it was pretty. Um, we didn't have a big center like this or language. No. There was no money for language at all. No. Yeah. Nothing. It, it does require sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, individual sacrifice to to get it done. I mean, we, we do things in the hallway, you know, with, with students cutting and pasting into the night. It was kind of like a normal thing to do. I mean, you know, we'd even do that in thunderstorms. <laughs> and, you know, it just had to get done. And so people would do that. So... Um, it's a kind of a commitment that you um, have with a core group of people. You don't have to have everybody, because not everybody is not uh, really that into it, you know. But you have to have a core of people who are really committed to to coming up with uh, with a plan, and uh, it it does take uh, commitment and sacrifice of a, of a few. To get it done, right. and then it'll uh, more and more we'll see, and then come. Uh, but if people don't see it happening, they they still they think that well, I knew that it couldn't happen, you know. So it has to. You have to make it evident somehow. Yeah, it doesn't group. take a very. We did have very very small. Yeah. How many do we have in our our language nest when we started in Hilo children? Hilo, I think it was something like 14. 14. That's pretty, yeah. that's bigger than I thought it was. Well, we only had a very few, and then we just had a word. Of, we always use word of mouth. We never advertise. Mm -hmm. Word of mouth, and let's meet at a certain place. And, um, you know, I'd see people at the at uh, J.C. Penney's, you know, and, oh, that, that looks like a good one. I'd go over there and say, hi, you know, we're going to have this meeting, and... Mm -hmm. And they look at me, and you know, who are you? 
And, and if you're interested, you know, we're going to looking at starting this school using only Hawaiian, Hawaiian language preschool, and they'd be carrying their son, you know, saying, oh, that's just the right size. <laughs> so, uh, so then we, uh, I, you know, and then when we had a meeting, then these people would come, just very few people. And then we'd describe it, you know, what we're hoping to do. And um, it was just a, a picture, you know, in, in your mind. And those people made up those, those well, two of those children, were, uh, uh, well, at the beginning, one of them was ours, you know. So those, those families, some of them had two children. And so they were the, um, the core of parent group. But the, the smaller portion of that parent group were the ones like us who were actually working in the language. So they're not necessarily speakers themselves. Mm -hmm. They were trying to learn themselves and, and saw that as being essential to who they were, you know, as Hawaiians and, and how they were raised too. So Yeah. So a lot of people in our age group had grandparents or great grandparents mm -hmm. who spoke the language. Yeah. But the, they were never spoken to in the language themselves, except, as Kaune said, maybe when the grandparent got angry and they would scold them. Yeah. Or Real language. Certain words. <laughs> <laughs> and now we go like, oh, I wish he had recorded some of those things. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so, and not all of our parents were really good language learners either. But they're very, um, since we required them to go to class, so we'd have a class in the evening. Once a week. Yeah. Yeah, Hawaiian language class. And uh, tried to learn as best they could, but mm -hmm. the children were much faster. So then the... Um, then we'd, we'd put a little sign on the fence, no, only Hawaiian in here. Yeah. And so the, if you wanted to speak English, we'd have a little uh, room, the little kitchen, and you'd have to go into the kitchen and talk to the teacher. <laughs> so you'd never be, you know, saying, okay, we'll see you later, you no. know, in the class. Yeah. No, that you couldn't do that. Right. So you'd have to go straight from your car <laughs> into the fence, into yeah, the kitchen, yeah. and then go, you know, straight back out and, you know, use the Hawaiian that you know mm -hmm. when you're in the class. We like to encourage them to use as much as they, they could, you know. Yeah. So, so you have to um, set up parameters to help people Otherwise, it's hard for people to know when and how to uh, be there. So I think that, that what we're also talking about here is the spirit of people who are all supportive and they try to uh, control themselves and control the environment as best they could and not um, have what happened in our first school where the teachers felt sorry for the kids or they felt sorry for, and by feeling sorry for them, you end up not helping. So mm -hmm. the idea is to try to control the environment so that the children are in this total Hawaiian environment while they're at the school. And then when they go home too, the parents are, the, the kids know their parents are trying and trying to support them and highly valuing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But they're and, so um, impatient though, I mean the children. Yeah. Once they know their children, I mean, their parents don't speak. They're very, you know, and then they have to speak for their, their relatives, you know, because the parents are so proud of them. But they, they, they're not real patient with parents, especially when they get a little bit older in kindergarten and first yeah. grade. Yeah. 
that was that was a problem. Like parents would say, "Please speak Hawaiian for you know Auntie," and they would they wouldn't say anything. Uh. Well, they, they had you know they have little kid things uh, that they go through. Yeah, but they're human beings. You know, they're, <laughs> we're all like that. Yeah. But for them, it wasn't strange to speak Hawaiian because it was all around them. Um, there was one interesting thing too over the years as they you were coming to this kind of schooling that they're thinking about what we thought was really difficult to establish in the beginning was uh, kind of like a joke to them. Like, what do you mean we can't have, uh, we can't be texting in Hawaiian? I mean, you know, what do you mean we can't have uh, what everybody else has, uh, you know, in those schools? It was, uh, uh, they just were raised uh, to think differently about the world, you know? And, and that was a great sign, I think, for us who, when we started, where everything was a challenge, oh, I wonder if we can. But for them, it was uh, just a normal way. Which, you know, but we had, okay, I want to mention some more challenges. We had to create new words because yep. oh, we yeah. didn't have vocabulary. And so we actually had a committee that did that. But also people, teachers would just do it on their own as best they could until the committee came up with a thing where they'd send in a word. And we still have that, um, but it's not as bad now. It seems to, we've got gotten better. Um, was also, just to mention some of the strange things that we had to go through, like both of us were became Hawaiian language teachers and university Hawaiian language teachers. This is before we had children and before we started the language nest. And so we, we came up with this thing, we're gonna speak only Hawaiian in class to, and only Hawaiian with the students. And, but to each other, we spoke English because we were used to speaking English. Oh, yeah. And that's how we met. And, and uh, there were the only two of us were the two teachers. Later we got another teacher, but then the thing was we're kind of hypocritical because we're telling the students to speak to us in Hawaiian all the yeah. time and then we got to try and have our, our faculty talking to each other in Hawaiian and mm -hmm. having our meetings in Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. But then we go home and speak to each other in English to, at home and then we said how are we going to raise our children speaking Hawaiian if we don't speak Hawaiian to each other. And that was pretty difficult too because you have to change your whole um, way of interacting with someone and it's hard to change, but. So, we well, we gotta do this because before the children come, because once they come, they'll be here, <laughs> you know? And then we gotta, so we gotta yeah. get it going. And yeah. so then we decided, okay, let's just start speaking so that when, we're, when we had our son, um, 1981, we were already kind of like in the groove. And so then he was born and we were speaking Hawaiian, and so, yeah. which we do till today. Yeah, so yeah. we still speak to each other in Hawaiian and our children, and they're old already, and they still speak to each other in Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. um, so which is uh, interesting too, because another thing we dis we've discovered many different things over, uh, mm -hmm. you know, over the years as part of human nature and and going through this kind of thing is that when the kids reach, um, you know, that in middle school, high school age, 
they kind of take on a different yes. way about them, and uh, they don't want to speak Hawaiian. They want to speak English to each other. Uh, mm -hmm. They want to be. They don't really uh, feel like their parents and teachers know very much of the, yeah. about the world. Mm -hmm. But we kept on persisting, you know, and and try to make sure that w at least when you walk by that they all speak in Hawaiian, you know, they have some kind of a, at least hide, you know. Mm -hmm. And then when they, then we discovered that once they graduate from high school and then they go away to college or into the, oh, suddenly they discover, wow, this great thing they have and they want to come back to it. So, mm -hmm. um, but all of those things require some kind of, I don't know if the word, gumption is correct, but you have to be kind of, or we had to be um, kind of, you know, um, stay with the program and believe that it would work out in spite of whatever happened, you know. Um, and that's kind of like the message that we want to share with people that it may seem it won't work, it may seem like you face all these things and yet you can uh, overcome yeah, them. Things can happen. Yeah, and you don't things. have to be like us two university language teachers. Like you can have um, people who didn't even graduate from high school who put their kids mm -hmm. in and they're learning some Hawaiian and able to do some and they get to be the point where they can actually speak Hawaiian with their children. It may not be perfect Hawaiian, but and their yeah. kids may be better than them, but mm -hmm. they can actually do that. And then to their own grandchildren, like we have families who who um, did that with us, and it's just amazing to see it. Mahalo, ho'a. Thank you, Kawanoi and Pila, for joining me in this episode of Roots and Stems. It was wonderful to listen to you both talk about the amazing revitalization efforts of the Hawaiian language that you both contributed to. You both serve as wonderful role models to us in Southeast Alaska, and we hope to use some of your knowledge in our own communities. Chahau'a, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Roots and Stems. I will see you again. Roots and Stems is sponsored by Sea Alaska Heritage. Artwork for this podcast is by Lingit artist Allison Bremner. The music is a Tsimshian song from Metlachadla, composed by Chuk Tugnitza Skik. Gavin Hudson for granting us permission to use the Askim Dim Lip Algigam for this podcast. Please visit sealaskaheritage.org for more information on this podcast and other programs. Gemichish Ha'at Oechsen.